Get informed, get inspired, and get connected. CannabisRadio.com presents NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. The National Cannabis Industry Association is the only national trade organization representing the businesses of the legal cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice covers a range of topics, including the rapidly evolving political and policy changes that affect our industry, news and events of importance to cannabis professionals, and features on companies, individuals, and campaigns at the cutting edge of the cannabis industry. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice begins now. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore. I'm the Deputy Director of Communications at the National Cannabis Industry Association. Today, I have a couple of guests from Byers Scientific, a longtime member of NCIA. We have Mark Byers, founder and president of Byers Scientific, and also Dr. William Viswete. He's the chief scientific officer and co-leads the Byers Emissions Analysis Division and is a key member of the Byers Mitigation Technologies Division, product research and development team. He's the inventor of the firm's patented vapor phase technology, as well as the designer of the firm's advanced molecular scrubbing technology, which is revolutionizing the cannabis odor control industry. My other guest, Dr. William Vuesette, sorry, <laughs> is chief scientific officer, co-leading the analysis division and a key member of the mitigation technologies division product research and development team. For the last six years, he's led a team of cannabis industry experts focused on site-specific research to increase overall knowledge of cannabis industry emissions, educate local communities, and improve the tools and methods that cultivators and policymakers use to evaluate the environmental impacts of cannabis cultivation and processing. He's also a radio DJ on WXYC 89.3 FM and specializes in jazz and Jamaican music. Uh, he recorded a special reggae show with songs about cannabis that you can download as well. You can go to jazzincognitoshow.blogspot.com to check out more. I got to tell you, I love jazz. Well, so uh, I'm right there with you as a jazz lover. I listen to KUVO Denver Jazz Station all the time, and, and I donate sometimes as well. But we're not here to talk about jazz, although it does go well with cannabis, in my opinion. Welcome to the show, you both. <laughs> good to be here. Hi, thank you. It's good to be here. Absolutely. All right, let's uh, jump into getting to know you a little bit better. Um, as far as your background and your experiences before moving into this space, what did you do beforehand, Mark? Well, I was in a completely different industry. Um, my uh, most immediate uh, career was in finance. Um, I, I spent a long time in the banking industry and, uh, you know, completely unrelated to, to, uh, to what we do now. Um, you know, I, I lived in Moscow uh, in Russia for, for five years and was involved in projects there. Um, yeah. And then uh, I decided to, uh, it's actually interesting. It's uh, two degrees of separation from Willie Nelson, uh, believe it or not, oh, really? um, but unrelated, unrelated to cannabis, but definitely two degrees from Willie Nelson with respect to what I do now. And that was because of some consulting 
that I did for a project uh, that uh, his uh, longtime 40 year uh, bass player was involved in. And uh, that effectively set me on the path that I'm on now. Wow, great. Yeah, that's an interesting story. It's nice to get to travel the world a little bit as well. How about you, Will? What did you do uh, before moving into this cannabis space? Well, not quite as exciting as Mark's career, but uh, so for the last uh, 15 years, I've been a professor of environmental engineering at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill in their uh, School of Public Health. And so primarily my research has been focused on air quality uh, and its connections to public health, as well as its connections to climate and environmental justice. Um, I run uh, large computer models to simulate the atmosphere and also go in the field and in communities and take measurements. And I came to the cannabis field because as it turns out, um, major input into the atmosphere are gases that come from plants. And our community has been focused on that for nearly 40 years. And so I thought we could apply some of that knowledge and expertise uh, in this burgeoning legal field. Gotcha. So not necessarily the, the smoke being expelled by the consumers, but, but involved in the agricultural process as well. Got it. Um, so Mark, you kind of mentioned two degrees of separation from Willie Nelson there, but how did you move into the cannabis space specifically? Right. Well, um, you know, we are an industrial odor mitigation company and a manufacturing company in that regard. And so we had a and still have a, uh, a considerable presence in the solid waste space. And um, I was contacted by a cultivator in California in 2016 or 17, I can't remember which. And he asked me flat out, you know, can you apply your technology to, uh, to the problems that we have? So, you know, we are ultimately an industrial odor mitigation firm. And, uh, you know, our original focus was in the solid waste space. And a, a cultivator in California called me, um, I don't know, in 2016 or 17, I can't remember which, and asked me, you know, if we could um, work on their, their problem. And so um, we were fortunate uh, with one of our strategic partners to have a, a formulation for our neutralizer um, developed for cannabis. Um, so I came out to California to, uh, to Carpinteria and met with this particular grow. We did a pilot, had tremendous success from that. And from that, um, we've been able to grow. Actually, you know, it's funny, we've grown the company in the odor mitigation sector with respect to cannabis to probably being the largest in this space. But what is equally, if not more interesting, is by having Will and also Dr. Gunther, um, we have learned more about the cannabis emissions um, probably than any other firm in North America. And that speaks directly to, to Will and, and Alex's abilities, um, which is extremely exciting. Oh, excellent. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, Will, do you have any more to add about sort of your shift into cannabis and what that was like and what drew you into working in this still federally illegal and ever-changing industry? Yeah, sure. Like, yeah, that's a great question. So uh, in my own research, I work quite a bit with um, states and cities and helping them uh, develop effective controls for mitigating air pollution. Um, and so, for example, I work really closely with the city of Houston 
and also the city of Denver. And it's my work with the city of Denver and their efforts to try to improve air quality, specifically with ozone, that kind of put me on this path of where I am today. Um, so, you know, I look at ozone and a very important input um, into the atmosphere that forms ozone are gases that come from plants. They're just naturally emitted from the plants. And in fact, in some parts of the world, that's the largest source of gases are from natural plants. And so our field for the last 40 years have been studying that to really understand that. And so I was in Denver um, working with my colleagues and they were telling me about the legalized cannabis industry that was developing um, in the city of Denver at the time specifically. And what was unique about that was that they were being built in um, secure premises. So usually indoor warehouses were being converted over. And typically you put warehouses in the middle of transportation hubs. Now, what's unique about Denver and what got me interested in this particular subject is that Denver is actually high desert. So in the background, there's actually not a, relatively not a lot of gases that are coming from plants. And, you know, the chemistry of the atmosphere of Denver is starved, actually, for the gases that these plants produce. And in fact, if they had more of these gases, they could produce more ozone. And here we were, we're putting this industry that could potentially be placing these gases right at the prime locations for making ozone. And so that's what kind of got me onto that path. And I looked around. Now, normally, what you would do is you would you know, look up the National Center for Atmospheric Research or the EPA or NOAA and find out what the emission factor is for the plant that you're interested in trying to develop an inventory for. And guess what? There was nothing, zero information about emission factors for cannabis plants. And so I got a fellowship at the National Center for Atmospheric Research to uh, do a pilot study. I came to Boulder, Colorado, purchased some plants, developed the first emission factors, built inventories for Colorado, and, and assessed their impact on ozone for Denver and the state of Colorado. And I think that's what caught the attention of, of uh, Mark. And that's where I Wow, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm already imagining growing cannabis plants on Mars so that we can develop an, a breathable atmosphere and go live there. And I'm, and I'm only half joking. <laughs> I think Elon Musk is already on top of that. We'll see. All right. So we have just, just a minute or so here before our first commercial break. So here in the present day, uh, you're both working with Buyers Scientific. Uh, what's happening with the company these days and, and what are you focused on, Mark? Well, I would say right now, and Will will be able to speak more to this, probably the most exciting thing that I would say we're working on is, um, you know, we did a press release uh, a month or so ago, a couple months ago, wherein we um, discussed our our isolation and, and fairly accurate identification of the primary odor-causing compound in cannabis, you know, that skunk smell. And, and of course, the conventional wisdom is that it's based on terpenes, um, Will. Uh, and Alex, and it's really based on Will's hypothesis from a few years ago um, that it was maybe not actually terpenes, um, and it's more like a, a what we'd call a thiol or a sulfur. And so, fast forward, um, we recently purchased that product, that that compound, in its purest form. It's called three methyl two butene one thiol, and we will be doing some experiments, which I think probably has never been done. In North America with respect to cannabis um, with this particular compound um, to better understand uh, what an odor detection threshold level might be, for instance, um, what the emissions are like. Um, we can just be much more precise, so that's pretty exciting. 
Wow. Yeah, that does sound really cool. Absolutely. I don't think I could pronounce that word that you said that you got isolated, but uh, that's, that's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll learn more about that. All right, let's take our first commercial break here and then come back and chat more with the team from Buyers Scientific. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, with NCIA, and I'm talking with Dr. Will Vizuete and Mark Byers from Byers Scientific. So let's dive into cultivation issues and odor emissions issues a little more deeply here. Uh, These are purely regulatory issues that don't seem to impact the product itself. So maybe let's talk about why emissions and odor, that skunk smell you described at cultivation sites is an environmental and social issue. Maybe explain more about the impact on air quality or community odor issues and why they matter for regulations and policy development. Well, yeah, these are great questions, Bethany, and uh, thanks for asking. Yeah, so let's kind of let's disentangle this into kind of two uh, issues um, because although they both stem from what's being emitted from both the cultivation and processing of these plants, they have uh, distinct me- mechanisms for their outcomes, right? And so one is odor, and the other is air quality. And so let's tackle the air quality one first. So air, by what I mean, our impacts on air quality are uh, the generation of ozone or the generation of aerosols or what we call particulate matter. And these come from reactions in the atmosphere that react with what we call volatile organic compounds or VOCs. These are organic molecules that at room temperature like to be in the gas phase. So that's why we call them volatile organic compounds. Now these plants emit these volatile organic compounds um, they're called uh, one gas is called isoprene another uh, classification of of gases are called monoterpenes and yet another is called sesquiterpenes and you may have heard the term terpenes Uh, that's kind of a blanket term for all these kinds of species and there's actually thousands of different kinds of species that comes from this now now it actually the breathing in of these um, volatile organic compounds are non-toxic they're actually very common um, VOCs that we normally see from lots of plants. You can think of like that pine smell as alpha pinene or lavender smell, that linalool mm-hmm. smell. Right? Lemon, yeah, yeah lemonine. Right? Lemonine, right? Exactly right. So th- it's pretty clear that there's no uh, toxicity associated with breathing in even large amounts of that gas. And by large, I mean maybe 10 to 100 times what we normally see in the ambient environment. Now, what's at issue is if you have a combustion source and a sunlight, and the mixture of those three things together, there's a possibility 
to make ozone and particulate matter. And those are indeed toxic and known um, uh, um, negative outcomes on public health. And so it's a special kind of combination of things. And so, for example, just to give you an example, in Denver, I described earlier in our talk today that that is actually high desert. And if it only had more volatile organic compounds, it would make more ozone. And so adding the cannabis industry there and allowing those VOCs into the atmosphere, you do, and we show in our models, increase um, ambient amounts of ozone. Now, I did the same study in Carpinteria in California, and they're definitely not high desert. And there is literally tens of thousands of tons of these volatile organic compounds being emitted into the atmosphere just naturally from, from other agricultural activities and the natural rainforest. And so the addition of the cannabis industries, like five or 50 tons per year, uh, makes no difference because there's already an ocean of those VOCs. It's actually the combustion sources that need to be. So depending on where you are and, and what the environment you're in uh, determines whether it's an impact on air quality. Now, we can accurately assess that for you if we know what the emissions are that are coming from these plants as you cultivate them and process and dry them. And so, again, it comes back to having a good understanding of what's being inputted in the atmosphere. And then we can rely on existing science and tools to assess those air quality impacts. And then finally, on the gotcha. odor. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So finally on the odor now, Mark set this up very nicely. So it's, you know, it's been kind of conventional wisdom that these terpenes are the drivers of, of this odor. But as we just discussed earlier, Bethany, uh, you know, a lot of these VOCs actually when isolated have very pleasant odors uh, and certainly not the kind of skunk odor that we've all known associated with this cultivation of cannabis. And so we, since we have the ability in our company to completely do a full profile, molecular profile of every molecule that's coming off of that plant, we can try to investigate and search for what could be uh, the driver of odor. And working with some collaborators at Iowa State University and some um, consultants in Texas, uh, we were able to uh, systematically come to this particular thial that Mark mentioned. Now, we should be careful. Uh, there's also other thiols that we found, <laughs> and we're still not clear how the interaction of the concentrations and with what's being emitted actually with the terpenes interacts with that as far as being smelled. So there's still a lot unknown about it, but it's really exciting right now. Gotcha. So I'm guessing you don't run outside with a, with a big glass jar and just capture the air and then run back to the lab. I'm sure you've got some more scientific methods and tools that you use uh, to quantify or measure these emissions and their potential for odor impact. How is that done? That's a great question. You're actually not too far off. So really, we, <laughs> yeah, but instead of glass, we actually have to use things that, um, that, so we have to make sure that whatever chemicals that we have don't stick to the walls and, um, are, and are retained enough with enough time. So actually what we use is uh, absorbent polymer materials uh, that we go out to the site and we suck air into these things. And they're specially designed to absorb from the, from the gas, these volatile organic compounds. And, and so, like I said, these things have been developed and specially designed for the last decades um, to look at you know, really low concentration of these in the ambient environment. And so we couple that sampling technique with a, what we call a leaf enclosure method and where we uh, have several methods where we don't disturb the living plant, uh, but enable to enclose say a branch or the whole plant, we purge it with clean air and, and such that in the exhaust, the only thing that's coming out is the clean air and whatever's being emitted by the plant. Uh, 
And then we run that into those kind of absorbent material tubes. We then take those and bring them back to the lab. And we use various um, advanced analytical techniques to allow us to um, identify all the molecules that were captured. And they're more than just, we can identify hundreds of different kinds of, of these VOCs, these volatile organic compounds, but also nitrogen products, as well as sulfur containing products, uh, including these thiols that we we're talking about here. Um, and so the other thing we do is ambient measurements where we can take, for example, if you have a drying room or a processing room, we would take an ambient measurement and then do inverse modeling to calculate what the emission rate from those activities would be, because more human associated activity, depending on what the you know, cultivation is doing, but tends to be a large emitter just because you're flinging around these oils uh, as you're processing and or drying these things. And, and so um, once we have that, then... I can develop what we call emission factors. And so we've already kind of built a database um, with Bioscientific of several strains, juvenile and flowering, um, full um, molecular profiles and emission rates uh, that are normalized by the weight. Um, so if you tell me what strain you have, how many plants they are and how big they are, I can build an inventory of what the emissions are from the sulfur, from the volatile organic compounds or the nitrogen products, right? Uh, once we build that, then we can rely on existing EPA approved tools to do predictive modeling of where the odors go or what's the impact on air quality or if there's terpene drift. Um, there's plenty of models that are out there to allow us to do that. We rely on things like Hermod dispersion models where we run three years of local meteorology uh, and give you kind of those kinds of things. What's also, also nice is that allows us then to size and optimize control strategies, right? Specifically as these plants breathe out, uh, we build equipment to suck all that in at the right amount. So you're not over-designing, over-engineering, wasting energy, right? You're doing exactly uh, what we want. So quantifying these emissions allows us to really have a good understanding and tackling these uh, problems that are associated with the industry, such as odor, air quality, terpene drift, and, and designing and developing and optimizing effective controls. Gotcha. Well, for sure. So it makes me think about automation, it's a hot topic in every industry, I think. Um, so wherever we can, it can help business owners with the big picture of operational management and planning. Um, so before we, we dive into other topics after our next commercial break, um, Mark, what are your thoughts around automating these control technologies? Yeah, we're, I, I'm going to say I think we're actually an industry leader on that. But I just want to add something real quick. Um, after hearing Will just now, uh, I'm, I think I'm going to see if I can move him to a sales position. because That was <laughs> so good, Will. Um, I, you know, I've heard him describe this, what we do. And now he describes even better how we design our equipment. And yeah, I'm I'm so lucky to have these guys. Um, a, a significant part of our equipment is, in fact, um, the 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 fact that it is all cloud-based um, technology in the sense that, yes, of course, it's it's hardware. It's um, fans. We're using a lot of chemistry with respect to the neutralizer. Um, we have a highly evolved um, carbon. We would prefer to call molecular filtration, but the industry would call it carbon scrubbing. Um, the carbon substrate that we use um, is um, identified by its ability to adsorb uh, sulfurs. 
uh, better than the typical carbon we find on the market. But all of those things, while it's important, we need to be able to tie those systems into the environmental control systems of a greenhouse, for instance. Or um, even if they are standing alone, if we have a vapor system, which is one tool um, for, uh, call it ambient air, um, and then scrubbing for interior air, uh, it's unlikely that those systems would be running at the same time. And so our systems, because they're cloud-based um, and highly intelligent, um, they can speak to each other. And so typical automation, right? As one is idling down for various reasons, the other gets a signal to, to, to idle up. Um, for instance, you know, under blackout conditions, we would want the scrubbers in the cultivation space doing their work. And that would mean uh, effectively um, sequestering all these gases in carbon and at a rate, a defined rate that is pretty much equal to the gas phase emission rate of the canopy, which is what Will was alluding to and what he develops that speaks to an efficiency. Um, and then as the automation of the greenhouse starts to you know, open blackout, for instance, or ridge vents begin to crack, then the carbon becomes less useful. We idle that down automatically and the, uh, and the vapor systems, for instance, will, will fire up. And um, with our systems, they can actually be controlled from any connected device, phone, tablet, whatever, from literally anywhere in the world. If you have a Wi-Fi signal, you can get on the entire system and run it. Wow. Yeah, the future is here. Happy to hear that. All right, let's let's take our last commercial break and come right back and wrap up our chat with the buyer scientific team. Stay tuned. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. Get informed, get inspired, and get connected with more of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice, diving deep into the science and technology of cannabis cultivation and odor emissions with the team of Bayer Scientific. So as we're wrapping up here, um, I got to say a lot of the scientific jargon is over my head, and that's why Will has a PhD and I don't. But I'm so grateful that you all are here to explain it, and you're active in NCIA and on our committees. So let's talk about those terpenes. They, they are different from cannabinoids, the THC, CBD, CBN, CBG. And then there's these terpenes, all the terps, right? Um, I really love lavender and lemon terpenes. I guess that's linalool and limonene <laughs> uh, terpenes. They just smell so good and they're good for uh, what I'm looking for from cannabis. So can you quickly walk me through the science of terpenes and, and why I like them so much? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to do it. Um, so in, in the field, it's, it's, helpful to know how we uh, classify these volatile organic compounds. So just as a reminder, we're talking about um, uh, gases, uh, molecules that at room temperature tend to be at, in the gas phase. So that's where the volatile comes out. And then organic compounds 
have carbons and hydrogens associated. So if you add a sulfur or a nitrogen, that's no longer, in a, we call it a VOC. So these are primarily just carbon and hydrogen molecules. And the most common emitted um, volatile organic compound from every living thing on the planet, including you and I right now out of our breath, is a little molecule that's called isoprene. And it's five carbons and eight hydrogens, so C5H8. This little molecule is the most emitted volatile organic compound on the planet. Um, it is everywhere. Uh, it, like I said, it comes from our own breath as well. And now, and so that is the largest VOC, and we've actually um, gotten very good at measuring isoprene. And cannabis does a little bit of isoprene, but not a whole lot. Now, if you take that C5H8, so you take those five carbons, and you put two of them together. So say you have now 10 carbons and 16 hydrogens. So two isoprene molecules put together is C10H16. Now you have what we call monoterpenes, right? And these include alpha-pinene, limonene, and these other molecules that, that we've been talking about. Um, and there are thousands of monoterpenes. And like you said, we've evolved with these monoterpenes um, to like their smell and, 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 and interact with these things. Uh, these monoterpenes have signal gland properties, for communication properties for plants, for, for other plants, and all kinds of uh, defense mechanisms that are released and also used to regulate heat as well as these things volatilize off these compounds. Now, if you take three isoprene molecules and put them together, so now we're at C15, 15 carbons and 24 hydrogens, that's what we call sesquiterpenes. So there's this whole other class of terpenes that are called sesquiterpenes, which are thousands Mind of miles. blown. <laughs> now, when we talk about terpenes, um, you can all, there are terpenes within the plant tissues themselves. And so that's probably a lot of what you read about and what people test for. And as people breed and grow these things, now, because it's in the plant tissue does not necessarily mean that that's a terpene, um, uh, uh, a volatile organic compound that's going to be emitted by the plant themselves, which is why we measure the actual emissions. So you can't just look at the tissue and then know exactly what's being emitted by the plant, right? Um, now, the other issue is that we isoprene, monoterpenes, and sesquiterpenes, because there are different numbers of atoms, they have very different um, qu um, qualities. The sesquiterpenes, since they have more carbon, tend to be not as volatile. And those are usually oils that pool on the leaf themselves. They're much larger molecules, and then they volatilize off. Um, the monoterpenes, since they're only C10, not C15, um, are a little more volatile. And so these tend to be more gases. There are some liquid ones, but they can also be directly emitted by the plant leaf itself through its stomata openings. And then isoprene is always emitted as a gas. Um, and so... Like I said, those we know a lot about these things. Um, for example, alpha pinene um, is there is a study that followed sawmill workers actually here in North Carolina where I'm at, and they were um, exposed 24 uh, you know eight hours a day, five days a week for years and years to um, levels of alpha pinene that were orders of magnitude, like ten times or a hundred times higher than what we would normally be exposed to, right? And they found no adverse health effects as a result of being exposed to all that alpha pinene. And so there's a lot of evidence that points that being exposed to these things from the gas phase are non-toxic. And, and that is true. That's a but, relief. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, um, and so, but the, also the thing about these things that make them volatile uh, also make them like to react in the atmosphere. And it's these reactions and their products 
of reaction that are actually harmful. So those are the things like formaldehyde, um, ozone, and aerosols or particulate matter um, that it forms when it reacts in the atmosphere. Gotcha. Wow. Well, I'm not sure I understand exactly why lemon and lavender is my favorite type of terpene, <laughs> but there seems to be some science behind it. So well, thanks so, so much for explaining that. Well, We've run out of time, ahead. unfortunately, but it seems like I need to have you both back on the show sometime in the future, or perhaps I'll run into you both at our upcoming trade shows this fall our Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, our Midwest Cannabis Business Conference, and our Eastern Cannabis Business Conference are all returning to the actual expo floor, actual convention centers, people in person. It's scary and exciting. Oh, my goodness. But stay tuned for NCIA's trade shows. I think registration will be opening pretty soon for the first show. So everyone uh, stay attuned to NCIA's social media channels, our email newsletter, everything in between. And we can't wait to see you all this fall. And thanks again to you both, Mark and Will, for being on the show today. I I look forward to continuing our conversations about the science of cannabis. Um, Mark, where can people find out more about Buyer Scientific? Uh, Website is buyers, B-Y-E-R-S-scientific.com. Um, I have an abundant resources page. You can see tons of uh, downloadable information there reflecting uh, Will's research and and Dr. Gunther's work um, and everything else we do. Perfect. Thank you both so much for being on the show. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.